بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين الذي أنعم علينا وباركنا وأيدنا بنعمة الإسلام وإن لله وإن لله لشاكرون ممتنون ونصلي ونسلم ونبارك على محمد النبي الأمين الخاتم الكريم وعلى آله وأصحابه وعلى من اتبعه بإحسان إلى يوم الدين هو الله الذي لا إله إلا هو الحي القيوم الكريم الرحمن الرحيم هو الله رب السماوات والأرض الملك الملك في الأرض وفي السماء له الأمر وإن إليه لراجعون We always begin by acknowledging our gratitude to Allah, to the giver of life and consciousness and being, and the one who entrusted us with the most remarkable of gifts and made of us a blessed a blessed and most honored creation as human beings as human beings we are honored by the bless by the breath of divinity our consciousness and our ability to reflect, comprehend, analyze, and ultimately decide is a most marvelous thing and a most wondrous thing. And as Allah has warned us and taught us that ultimately how you choose to use these gifts of consciousness and accountability will accrue to you or against you. Peace and, peace and blessings be upon the Prophet Muhammad who in his honorable being sums up the entire legacy of all the prophets you will find that in the persona of the final prophet that you will find the truth 
of all the prophets. It is as if he has embodied all of them in his single being. This is why with the Prophet Muhammad being the last prophet and the final prophet and we are told that you have inherited the message of the final and last prophet after a long dynamic and a long struggle that predates the Prophet Ibrahim the Prophet Ibrahim who is the father of the Arab line of prophets and the Israelite line of prophets the man who dwelled in Iraq in Palestine in Arabia and in Egypt in the persona of the Prophet Ibrahim those prophets that came before him came with a singular message to humanity and that message was perfected in the persona of the Prophet Ibrahim the Prophet Ibrahim of all the Prophets resembles the Prophet Muhammad the most. If you compare the life of the Prophet Muhammad to the life of the Prophet Ibrahim, you will find unmistakable parallels and unmistakable similarities. It is a long protracted educational process by which humanity was educated about the implications of creation, the implications of being God's creatures, khalqullah, the fact that we are the khalq of the most magnificent, the most beautiful, the most merciful, the most compassionate, the Qudus, the Malak, the fact that we are the creation of this God, the only God in the universe, comes with enormous blessings and great responsibilities and a level of awareness and a level of seriousness about our existence before the time of death and our existence after death. When the Prophet Muhammad is Khatamun Nabiyyin, the final Prophet, the message, the message has to be inherited. The message of prophecy, the message of Nuh 
and Ibrahim and Ismail and Ishaq and Yusuf and Yaqub, the message that was carried through generations, the message of Ana Awal Muslimin, I am the first of Muslims, had to be inherited and had to be born. And because prophecy ended, it could only be inherited by an ummah. It could only be inherited by a nation. By its very terms, if you have a line of prophets and ultimately the responsibility of carrying this message is not borne by anyone, then there is a problem because no one is put in charge of a message that took generations of reaffirmation by a successive line of prophets ending with the Prophet Muhammad. If no one bears the responsibility for this message, then effectively it is as if you've made the prophecy of Muhammad and all the earlier prophets as extinct and as if null and void. But once you indicate a party that is going to be the carriers and of that message, that is indeed a heavy responsibility, truly a blessed responsibility. Look at that responsibility, that responsibility of, of revelation, bearing the divine message. Look at how the Abrahamic prophets bore that responsibility. Look at the way the Prophet Ibrahim responded to the responsibility of revelation. Look at the way the Prophet Yusuf responded to that responsibility. Moses, Jesus, and ultimately with the Prophet Muhammad. If you study the seerah and you study the lives of the prophets, you find that the responsibility of being the bearers of revelation is something that they interacted with on a daily basis, consistently and persistently. You can't point to any part of their life where you can even get a sense that they forgot about the burden and the blessing and the honor and the great empowerment of being the bearers of God's message. The bearers and the responsibility 
and the burden and the honor and the blessing of carrying the final message after the death of the Prophet Muhammad after the final Prophet has completed the final message can only be the Muslim Ummah. Muslim not as a tribal or nationalistic idea but a Muslim Ummah as immoral and an ethical category. This is why Allah reminds us in Ali Imran when Allah reminds us by saying Kuntum khayra ummatin ukhrijat linnas Kuntum khayra ummatin ukhrijat linnas ta'muruna bil ma'ruf wa tanhawna 'anil munkar or also in Surah Al-Umran where Allah says وَلِتَكُنْ مِنْكُمْ أُمَّةٌ يَدْعُونَ إِلَى الْمَخَيْرِ وَيَأْمُرُونَ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ وَيَنْهَوْنَ عَنِ الْمُنْكَرِ وَأُولَئِكَ هُمُ الْمُفْلِحُونَ You were the best of nations but you're not the best of nations because of your ethical, because of your nationalistic identity you're not the best of nations because of your legalistic practices. You're not the best of nations because of your ethnicity or your race. You are the best of nations in direct proportion and in relationship to ta'muruna bil ma'ruf wa tanhawna anil munkar or tad'una ila al-khayr that you enjoin what is good and resist what is evil. Now, as I have alluded to on many occasions, you cannot think about the idea of the process, the mechanics, the instrumentality of calling for what is good and resisting what is evil unless you also engage the processes of recognizing what is good in the first place and thinking about how to recognize what is the opposite of good in the first place. To take that responsibility seriously, to inherit Allah's message after the final Prophet you bear the responsibility of both creating the conditions that are most conducive to recognizing goodness and implementing what is good as opposed to what is bad. So two parts to this process. The first is substantive and that is the analytical, critical, if you want to call it philosophical process 
of being able to investigate and understand goodness in the first place. And then the second part, the instrumentality to implementing, to actually bringing, making effective the results of this inquiry. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in Surah At-Tawbah, وَالْمُؤْمِنُونَ وَالْمُؤْمِنَاتِ بَعْضُهُمْ أَوْلِيَاءُ بَعْضٍ يَأْمُرُونَ بِالْمَعْرُوفَ يَنْهَوْنَ عَلِ الْمُنْكَرِ Allah describes those who inherited the final message, the message of the Prophet and says المؤمنون والمؤمنات both men and women and it's very interesting that Allah it, it, whenever you, you mention the male form it implies also the female form however when you mention the feminine tense explicitly, it means a reaffirmation, an emphasis, an underscoring that the, an exception to women does not apply. It's as if God, say, God is telling us, I know that you guys might think women are accepted, but I am underscoring that women are not accepted. And then Allah tells us that the believers, men and women, there is a solidarity between them. There is a, a, a unity and a bond between them. There is something that it's as if they have a common flag. It's like Allah telling us that they support one another. They marshal behind a single flag. They have a bonding force that brings them together. What is that bonding force? What is that common banner? And the answer comes they enjoin what is good and resist what is not good. Again, if you are going to be the inheritors of the final message, that in itself should be a wake-up call. Because, oh my Lord, there are no more prophets. Now it's up to us to represent that final message on this earth. We had a long line of prophets, and as Allah tells us, these prophets, in their essence, they, they were not Jewish, they were not Christian, they were Hunafa Muslimin. That they were, in essence, embodiment of what Islam is. And what Islam is, is a recognition of the maker of, of the maker of the universe. And then, 
figuring out how to live a life in which you worship Rabbul Ibad, you worship the maker of the universe, and, ref- and not be subservient or a slave to anyone else but Allah, not even our own personal desires. If you want to sum up Islam, that's it. That's the summary of what an entire Islamic message is about. Ibadat Rabbil Ibad. Not Ibadah that is directed at anyone else other than Rabbil Ibad. That you, your, your acts of subservience and submission are directed only to Allah and no one but Allah. And that is why Allah reminds us is million times throughout the Quran when Allah says if fear me don't fear them think of what you owe me don't make your actions and your deeds motivated by your petty and contingent feelings towards other human beings but Turn your compass towards a higher purpose and a higher reason, and that is your maker. So when Allah tells us the common flag that ought to unite us, Allah reminds us that that common flag is the pursuit of good and the avoidance of what is not good. The pursuit of goodness in life is entirely a meaningless venture unless the preconditions for that pursuit are fulfilled in and of themselves. You can't say, yes, yes, I'll I'll, I'll live a life in which the defining earmark, defining element in my existence is that I will pursue goodness without first recognizing that goodness itself must be identified in the first place. Even if as Allah helps us along and says as, as our Muslim ancestors discovered or realized a long time ago, that at a minimum, goodness should fulfill the objectives of Sharia. And the objectives of Sharia are the preservation of life, the intellect, honor, property, etc. Even with that, you still have a lot of work to do. It doesn't require everyone to be a philosopher, but it requires everyone to recognize that Allah has created laws in nature in our very being that helps us identify what is healthy and what is good versus what is unhealthy and what is not good. Now, remarkably, even the most minor observation 
you know from your from the very laws of this create of creation that every living being avoids pain the infliction of pain must be thoroughly justified like in the case of surgery for instance you inflict pain because you're doing surgery but it is against nature for beings to accept pain so is freedom you take a bird you put a bird in a cage you see the result of the acts you take a dog and the first thing you notice about a young born natural instinctive dog or cat is that they long for their freedom they have an innate god-given sense for freedom and for avoidance of pain but even more All intelligent creatures have a sense of dignity to them. Even dogs, although dogs are extremely forgiving, but rest assured they recognize what they consider to be an insult in their world, in their universe. If I have two dogs and I give one of them a treat and I don't give the other a treat immediately the other dog looks at me like why didn't I get one an innate God-given sense of justice if I come into the room and my dog runs at me to jump at me and I yell at them leave me alone for an instant before forgiving me that dog looks at me like what have I done innate God-given sense avoidance of pain freedom justice dignity we can't philosophize about what is good and what is bad unless we understand that if you want to describe if you want something that would sum up the personality of the Prophet Ibrahim If you study his seerah, what was his seerah about? A thoroughly gentle, caring, loving human being. Now, this is an Islamic narrative because there are a lot of corruptions in the Bible and the way Ibrahim is portrayed. But his prophet, his wife, Sara, fell thoroughly in love with him. His wife, Hagar, fell thoroughly in love with him. His son, Ismail, and his son, Ishaq, and his other sons have nothing but narratives about the kindness and gentleness of their father. You look at the prophet Moses, his keen sense and the prophet Yusuf as well, Joseph, both of them. 
keen sense of justice and a passionate concern for the dignity of the people that they're with. Even Moses, when he stands up to Pharaoh, he stands up to Pharaoh because of the way that he has subjugated and humiliated human beings and told them, La illa ma'ara. You, you're not allowed to think for yourself. And Moses quite naturally tells Pharaoh, what is this? Who gives you the right to think for people and tell people what to think or not think? Jesus challenges the money changers in the temple, goes around, throws their, their, their hardware and their, their uh, uh, commodities, tips them over and says, how dare you exploit people like this and demand that they live their lives like slaves to you? Jesus, his entire life is a confrontation with the innate injustice that he witnesses in Jerusalem and in Khalil and the other areas in which he treaded. And so is the legacy of the Prophet Muhammad A a human being from the time that he was in Mecca, before he was a prophet, why did he rebel against his society and disliked what he saw around him? He, just, he rebelled against the way that a human being is degraded, denied dignity, denied respect, denied equality, denied all these innate things that we know. The minute we come to this world and we start interacting with other human beings, if they hurt us, the first thing, you know, I don't know if any of us remember the, the first time we ever got hurt in any context, is immediately, why are you hurting me? Because Allah put in us in that innate sense of ma'roof, that as a being, I don't want to be harmed. I don't want to be imprisoned. I don't want to be treated unfairly and unjustly. The Prophet Muhammad from the time that he was a young man before he is a prophet and after he is a prophet to the extent that what is the last thing the Prophet Muhammad says and does before he leaves this world when he knows that khalas, his time is over, he says, anyone, anyone that I have unintentionally wronged makes a public declaration. Anyone who I unintentionally wronged in life, please come now, take whatever I owe you. If I, if I by mistake, shoved you or hit you or insulted you, Come take it now. Insult me back. Hit me back. Why does he do that? Why is that the last act? The Prophet was a teacher. He knew that he's going to... I mean, seriously, he, the Prophet you think we're really worried about sins as he's going to meet Allah? He knows that he, everything is forgiven for him. 
But that's not the point. The point is to teach us. To teach us. When, when Allah says we've created you as a nation, and the earmark, and the, the, the critical point about your nation is to call for what is good and to live a life of resistance for what is bad. Here is a living example that an injustice in principle, even if perpetuated by a prophet, is unacceptable. Even if perpetuated by a prophet is unacceptable. Of course, the question immediately begs itself in God's name. How did the people that Allah repeatedly tells us the only reason Muhammad is the last prophet is that now you are Ummah Muhammad. You are now the, the nation of Muhammad. You've inherited the, the Islamic legacy, the Islamic message from Ibrahim to Muhammad. You are the inheritors. And as the inheritors, as an ummah, and as mu'minun and mu'minat, how could this nation, from the perspective of now centuries, lag so behind in the rights where the most poor are concerned, the rights of the most destitute are concerned in the principles of social justice and the principles of political justice. How could that nation be the nation that regularly violates human rights, be the nation where people are imprisoned unjustly and unfairly? Human rights is a fancy term. For what? For simple things. The right to eat, the right to be free, not be thrown in prison without committing a crime, the right to basic legal process, the right to rule of law. Isn't that what human rights is a fancy term for those rights that all of us as human beings innately recognize as ours, and that even a dog innately, instinctively recognizes as righteous. So how could it be that Muslim world suffer genocides from Bosnia to the Rohingyas to the Uyghur to now the Muslims of Kashmir? How could it be that the Muslim world Percentage-wise, has the highest number of political prisoners in the universe. There are more Muslim political prisoners than any other faith group in the world. 
How could it be that among religious groups there are more Muslim theologians what we call Imams there are more Muslim theologians defending despotism, autocracy, injustice than any other religious group in the world. How could it be? In the Jewish tradition, there are numerous theologians that have developed theories of justice and human rights in the Christian tradition as well. In the modern Muslim tradition, when I say modern, and I mean 19th, 20th, and 21st century till now, we don't have that many theologians and jurists that have defended or developed in original ways, I'm not talking about apologetics, I'm talking about original thinkers, that have contributed to world ideas about human dignity and human rights. But we have a very large number of Imams that have defended Al-Malik Batikh and Al-Amir Rumman and President uh, uh, Kumitra and whatever. We have more Imams that have defended authoritarianism and autocracy than any other religious group in modern world. I'm not talking about pre-modern because the pre-modern it used to be the Christians who had the, the greatest, the irony, it was with the Muslims were the ones at the head of the curve, way ahead of Jewish theologians, and way ahead of Christian theologians, when they believed that the rule of Sharia was the rule of justice. And, and to them, it was irreconcilable that you would have Sharia and, and injustice at the same time. That, but these days are gone. You have to be honest, that's not our state today. Every Imam, and this is a message to all out there, every Imam that defends an unjust ruler, that defends unjust imprisonments, that defends torture, 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 that apologizes and justifies Governments that rape women in political prisons. Every imam that does that. Do you know what is it that they're effectively saying? They're saying there is no philosophical justification for the Prophet Muhammad to be the last Prophet. Because... The, the, the way it all works is that I've perfected, here is God's perfected message, complete message. Now, the prophecy ended, your ummah should carry the torch. But if the ummah doesn't carry the torch, 
Then what happens to the torture of the Prophet Do you see why this is a disaster? Do you see why this is a mind-numbing thing? When the Prophet says, Okay, you know, in the final day, in the year after, I've perfected the message. Finally, human beings have been elevated through Ibrahim and Musa and Isa and Yusuf and Yaqub and so on and so forth, have been elevated to understand the difference between Ubudiyya, submission to a God, and the degradation of submission to a fellow human being. Alhamdulillah, I've, I've taught, we prophets through generations taught you the message. Now what did you do as, as the, the, the great inheritors of Islam? And you say, you know what, as Muslims, what we've instituted is dictatorship, despotism, and suffering. Shameful. Untenable, unworkable, miserable. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa subhanallah al-Aliyah al-Azim. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barik ala Muhammad. Ala alihi wa ashabihi wa tabahum ihsanin ila yawuddini alayhi azim. The reason I say this the reason of course because this is this is our, our fate this is our responsibility this is what we are about but as I speak right now There are people in countries like Egypt who are trying to remove a fascist, fascist dictator called Abdel Fattah al-Sisi. A fascist dictator who has imprisoned over 60,000 people, who has executed, murdered thousands of people. And, and this is my specialty, who has practiced the worst forms of torture, including raping women and political prisoners. Of course, he labels anyone that he arrests and persecutes or terrorists, including people who've lived their life being anti-Ikhwan, like Professor Hassan Nafa, who was recently arrested and just charged as a terrorist in Egypt. I can't give this khutbah without thinking of how many brave souls are going to the streets and are going to end up thrown in a political prison or murdered and killed by the security forces. If I was in Egypt, then it would become my moral obligation to go and try to remove 
one of the worst pharaohs Egypt has seen in its history, in its long history, one of the most corrupt and brutal pharaohs, Pharaoh, that Egypt has ever seen. But because I am in America, the part that concerns me is that my president calls this fascist my favorite dictator and sits there and express and says there used to be chaos before in Egypt before Abdel Fattah Sisi came but now Egypt is okay and I know that my president doesn't care about democracy in the in the Muslim world but even worse doesn't care about justice in the Muslim world I know that my president is happy when he sees Muslims unjust backwards retarded barbaric it fulfills his worldview it affirms I handled cases with a lot of New York high-level attorneys, commercial cases, and high-level attorneys, commercial cases in London. And one of the things that struck me about this high-powered attorney culture that can get paid hundreds and hundreds of dollars for each hour and so on and so forth is how thoroughly racist they are as they worked on cases with involving Saudi money, Qatari money, Emirati money, they at the same time looked at their clients as barbaric people, as nothing, simply because they're Muslim. The world is not going to do it for us as Muslims. If we Muslims accept the likes of Abdel Fattah al-Sisi as representative of one of the largest Muslim countries in this earth, Egypt. And we accept that our American president supports and aid a fascist dictator like a Sisi, then what are we about as an ummah? The Prophet ﷺ, I, I, I swear to Allah, I mean, there are things, there are things that were taught to us by our Quran and by our Prophet that if they taught us nothing else, it would have been enough. One of them is when the, the, the story of the ship that m most of us already know about or, or already heard of it. The Prophet ﷺ, when he tells us when the Prophet ﷺ wants to teach us Hudud Allah here are usually translated as the Hudud of Allah. But what they mean is the righteous living. They don't mean the, the, the criminal hudud of 
the had sarak had of of zani and so on. That's not what this hadith is talking about. The hadith is talking about righteous living. Hududullah here is an expression that stands for a living that fulfills the maqasid al-sharia, the purposes of sharia. So if it, 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 an unjust country is in violation of hududillah, a cruel country is a violation of hududillah, a country full of poverty and suffering is not consistent with hududillah. So the Prophet ﷺ teaches us, tells us, shall I tell you how you should think about the issue of the rights of God Hududillah, righteous living. It's like people who go to a ship. There are people who go to sit in the upper deck, and there are people who go to the lower deck. The water fountain or the the the, the water container is only in the upper deck. So if you want, if you're in the lower deck and you want water, what do you do? You have to go to the upper deck to drink water. However, in this ship, the people on the lower deck, in this hadith, uh, the, this anecdote that the Prophet teaches us, decide, well, you know, instead of people going upstairs all the time to get water, going upstairs to get water, why don't we just dig a hole in the, in the ship and get water from the river directly? Of course, when you dig a hole in the ship to get water from the river directly, what's going to happen? The ship is going to drown. The people upstairs in the upper deck see what's going on. And they say, well, it's none of our business. You know, we don't like what they're doing, but we can't, we're not going to stop them. So they all drowned. So the Prophet ﷺ tells us, فَإِن تَرَكُوهُمْ وَمَا أَرَادُوا هَلَكُوا جَمِيعًا وَإِن أَخَذُوا عَلَى أَيْدِيهِمْ نَجُوا وَنَجُوا جَمِيعًا That collectively, if the people on the ship leave them, let them dig the hole in the, in the, in the bottom of the ship to get water, then they're all going to drown. But if they actually do something to, to prevent them from their injustice, from their insane, destru destructive behavior, then they will all be saved. What is that the Prophet teaching, teaching us here about our relationship to justice? That apathy is not conducive to a just society. To just say, well, you know, it's... I should just concern myself with my salah. As, as recently, what's his, uh, uh, some people said, oh, you know, ku anfusakum wa ahlikum nara. Just, you know, your, 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 your obligation is to do nothing but save yourself and your family from hellfire. None of, none of the Prophet ﷺ answered this. Let us, the ship will drown. If this is your attitude, the ship will drown. Which in other words means you are not Khairu Ummah. You are not the best of nations. You are not a nation that enjoins the good and resists what's evil. 
It's a heavy moral obligation. But you either live in a state of conscientiousness. You want to call that political Islam, you want to call it moral Islam, you want to call it ethical Islam, you want to call it whatever you call active Islam. It, it, that doesn't concern me because labels are the handmaiden of the intellectually limited. Those who are not very smart, they use labels. They don't think substantively, they just rely on labels. Labels like political Islam and whatever Islam, if you're an idiot, then you find them useful. If you're a thoughtful human being, you're not satisfied with labels. And you go beyond that to a substantive inquiry about the moral value of the lives we live on this earth. And the moral value comes from how we treat our other, ourselves, our families, and others. And others, that's where the value of justice comes from. Allahumma fa'anna. وارحمنا واغفر لنا وهدنا لأقرب من هذا رشد يا علي عظيم Allah forgive our sins help guide us to the straight path your path Allah grant us the beauty of your love the beauty of your forgiveness and grace Allahumma Rabbul Alameen allow us a greater sense of wisdom justice and magnanimity in our lives. Ya Ali Azim.